It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study of the uh, history of Israel in the Old Testament. We've been talking about David and Saul. Uh, Saul was the first man-king of Israel. He was appointed by God because the people of Israel were very distraught and unhappy that Samuel, the wonderful, righteous man of God, had two evil, wicked sons. You'll find them in that eighth chapter of First Samuel. And we've been talking about God's special laws. If you break them, there's a severe penalty for that. And we see what we're bringing into effect, we're talking about First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Now you have to know something about these books. The Jews had one term for all these books. They called these the book, one book of the kings. What is the difference in these? Well, first and second Samuel, this is where the first king of Israel, well, let me put it this way, the first man king of Israel, the first man king was Saul. Not because of anything he did, because the people murmured against Samuel's sons, they were very wicked. You find that in the eighth chapter of First Samuel. And so first and second Samuel, first Samuel is about Saul. God picking Saul out to be king. I don't want to keep trying to make that a T. Keeps God picks out Saul to be king in the ninth chapter of First Samuel. First Samuel the ninth chapter. That's because Israel was wicked back there. The only the man that was ruling them was Samuel, and he was an answer to Hannah, his mother. His mother was was uh, she had a husband Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives. He had Peninnah. And Peninnah and Hannah. Peninnah had all kinds of children. Hannah cried out and said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to the high priest in the temple. The high priest was Eli. And he was of the lineage of Aaron. You have to be a son of Aaron to be a high priest or a lineage. You have to be in the lineage of Aaron. Of course, Aaron was a Levite. Levi was, and Levi was the third son of Jacob. Jacob, then Reuben. And God took away the inheritance from Reuben because he was unstable, the Bible says, as water. He just was a messed up man, and always the firstborn would have the inheritance and be the king and be the 
ruler over the household. So it was Jacob's prerogative. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And that's in the 32nd chapter of Genesis. So if you're talking about Jacob, you're talking about Jacob's 12 sons. His second born son was Simeon. Well, he's a character. Not going to go into him right now. His third born was Levi. Out of the Levites would come the priesthood, which it should have belonged to Reuben, but because of his instability, Jacob said, we're going to make the third-born Levi, and everything that comes out of Levi, the high priest, you could be a priest without being a high priest. You had to be a son or descendant of Aaron in order to be a high priest. That's going to be very important in our study. And all the rules that would apply to Aaron, you could be a Levite without being a high priest. Now, Eli was a descendant of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. He was the high priest when you get to 1 Samuel. And Hannah says, give me a son, I'll give him to the high priest. He can serve the high priest. So Samuel was born according to God's mercy upon Hannah. Hannah, that's a good name, name your daughter. Knew one lady named Hannah. And so uh, because of the wickedness of Eli, Eli had two sons that were evil. And because of their wickedness, God caused the Philistines to come in and have war with Israel and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in this battle. Of course, Samuel prophesied their death. He prophesied the death of Hophni and Phinehas. Well, he also, God also had the Ark of the Covenant taken away by the Philistines. They put it in the Temple of Dagon. Dagon was their head fish god their sun god their water god that was dagon i said it last week that's because they deified noah among the pagans as the great fish god and said the ark was a fish well that would take us into i didn't mean to get into this this morning i was going to go into halloween all hallows eve uh, I, I was going to connect it with Christmas because Christmas is coming up. But Halloween, Christmas, Christmas, Valentine's, Mardi Gras, And Easter, they're all the same unholy day in a different culture. None of these have anything to do with Jesus, not one thing. Now, we think of Halloween as being evil, and we think of Christmas. Most people think of that as being Christian. Christmas is worse than Halloween because it's it's something disguised as righteous that's not it is the Christ Mass. 
It's Roman Catholicism. Everything up here has to do. The Catholics brought Halloween into the church, and they brought it in, called it All Hallows' Eve. And that was a time, that was at the end of the harvest on October the 31st, which is coming up very shortly. On October the 31st, that was the end of the harvest or the death of the crops. End of harvest. Or the death of the crops. Because everything's going to be harvested by the 31st. And then you've got all these dark months until you get to the spring. So since the crops were dead, they would say the gods took these crops down into the ground and they had to be resurrected in the spring. So they, since the crops or the gods of the crops were dead, they said these gods were the evil gods, Hades. Pluto, and they had a whole bunch of names for these gods. We actually get the the old uh, dog out of the Mickey Mouse. We get it from this, and Pluto was one of the planets out there. And they said these gods would go into the ground, and they had to be resurrected in the spring, which was Ishtar or Easter, and I'll go through that later on. Because we're in this subject over here. So they had to feed these dead gods, gods of the crops, and they would put out cakes or cookies or milk. That's also the same thing as Christ's Mass, where they would put that out for St. Nicholas, that is a 4th century dead Roman Catholic bishop. If you believe in Christmas, you got to believe in Halloween. They're just different in different areas. Halloween was the Celtic gods, the Celts form, or the Druids form of sun worship. That was Druids. And Christ's Mass was started by Constantine when he began the Roman Catholic Church. Constantine, and he began Roman Catholicism, and Valentine's was another form of this, and Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras was a seven-day festival in the middle of February that ended on March the 25th in the ancient world, and that was, that was 30 days after, or excuse me, 40 days after Mardi Gras, and that was Ishtar, Ishtar, and that was, that was the resurrection of the sun gods in the ancient world, and that would have been Easter, and we don't have time to go into all of that. I just, you know, if I don't stop here, I'll keep going. But because of what Israel did during this time period, what they did, they involved themselves in all of this worship of the pagans, the Christ Mass. All Hallows' Eve, the Mardi Gras, the Easter. It was nothing but the worship of the Big Dipper is what it was. And the Big Dipper was, 
I'll flip through this, and some people that have been here, they say, what in the world is a swastika doing up there? Well, there's a reason for that. That's the Big Dipper in its four phases. They would, the pagans would take every three months, beginning on June 3rd, and they'd have a June 3rd up here. Then you go to September the 3rd, then December the 3rd, and you'd end up back in the spring uh, on uh, June the 3rd. You go through this, they would check the Big Dipper at night, and at midnight every three months, and they came up with the swastika. They said what they needed above everything, this was their culture clock. They said they needed to get this clock around, and they would just check it every three months. They needed to get it back around here to spring so they could have crops. It was all about food. And if you remember, God's covenant was in Deuteronomy 28. God says, if you'll obey me, if you'll be obedient to me, and all my statutes, he said, I'll fill up your fields, I'll fill up your crops, I'll fill up your storehouses. You see, all this stuff over here was about fertility worship so they could have crops in the spring. God said, all you have to do is worship me. And that's something they didn't do. Israel became involved in Baal and Grove, Grove, which was the tree goddess. That's the Christmas tree, whether anybody likes it or not. You can read about that in Jeremiah 10. You can read about it in Isaiah in Isaiah, the 44th chapter, you can go in there and it'll tell you they cut down a tree out of the forest, a tree that would not rot. In the 40th chapter, it says it was a tree that wouldn't rot. That's an evergreen. <clears throat> and they, Israel was involved in this sun and tree god worship. And they took on all the gods of these pagans and brought it into Israel so God scatters Israel all over the face of the earth. And the reason we're studying the books of the kings <clears throat> is to study Israel's demise. They're being carried away. And they were carried away into captivity after 510 years under kings. And the books of the kings, where they really got involved, was in Kings and Chronicles. What's happening mainly is the kingdom is being set up in First and Second Samuel. David is made king in First Samuel in that 16th chapter of First Samuel. And because Saul was rebellious against God in the 11th, particularly the 11th, the 13th, and the 14th, and the 15th chapter, God took the kingdom away from Saul. What happened in the 12th chapter? Well, he, Saul received his coronation as the official king of Israel. Well, <clears throat> this is the book I call 1 Samuel the book of David and Saul. David becomes king in 2 Samuel, full-fledged king, because Saul is killed in, in uh, 1 Samuel, the 31st chapter. And when we're getting into what we're getting into, because of the wickedness, 
of Eli's sons, the ark was carried away in this battle that God brought about. David brings the ark of the... Without the ark of the covenant, Israel can't have any victories. That is God's throne in Israel. Most people don't even know where the ark of the covenant is. Well, there is no such thing as the ark of the covenant anymore. Our hearts are the ark. The Ark of the Covenant was inside the temple. It was The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne. That's where he ruled Israel from. You have the temple. Here's the temple. It had the same layout as the tabernacle in the wilderness, the same measurements. You had the temple and the veil. The Ark of the Covenant was inside the veil, in the inner sanctuary. Sanctuary comes from the word saint. It means the sanctified area where God sat upon the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the law written on tables of stone. Now we are, everything over here is equal to everything over here. Everything is equal. The Ark of the Covenant had the law written on tables of stone. In the New Testament, our hearts are the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled seven times by the high priest who would go to the brazen altar just outside, just outside. There was an enclosed area here. He'd go to the brazen altar, kill a goat on the tenth day of the seventh month, which was the month Tishri. And that was the very end of the harvest. Tishri. That would be September, October. And you're right at the end of the harvest. God's season would be from the spring until the end of the fall, and they'd harvest all their crops in there. The pagans would start their holidays at the end of the harvest, starting with All Hallows Eve and go all the way through the winter, going through the Christ Mass, which was the Feast of Saturn in Rome. And they'd go all the way to uh, the spring where they would start, where they would be out of their crops. Now, our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. The law was written on tables of stone. Now it's written on fleshy tables of our heart. The Ark was sprinkled. Our hearts are sprinkled there in Hebrews 10.22. You had the Aaron's rod, the rod, that rod of the priesthood. We have a rod in our hearts. The Bible says we rule with a scepter of righteousness. The word righteousness in Hebrews 1 and 8 is the word E-U-T-H-E-T-O-S, euthetos. And that's not the common word righteousness. The common word righteousness is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. That's the common word righteousness. It comes from the word D-K, which is the word right. So whenever you're wanting to know if somebody's righteous, then they have to be doing right. 
Euthytos comes from you and Tithome, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Tithome is a common word in the Greek that means to level or bow to. A well leveling. Whenever we, whenever we are righteous, we have a, we rule with the scepter of leveling to the will of God. When you bow to the will of God, that's the that you realize that that's your lifestyle, and that's what rules people in your life is the way you act towards them. If you teach and tell them predestination is true and Christmas is pagan, you're ruling them, and they want to get out of your presence. Get away from the king, and what's coming from your mouth is going to be the words of God. So everything over here is equal to everything over here. We have a rod over here in our hearts. That's the word of God. And we've got the tables of stone written in our hearts, except it's written in fleshy tables of the heart. So this is this is this is the ark is in here. This was God's throne. He would come down out of the cloud by day, sit on that throne, and rule Israel from there. This inner sanctuary was called House of God. And the scripture says in Hebrews 3 and 6, Christ is a son of his own house, whose house are we? And the scripture says, that we enter in by a new and living way. There's only one way. It's the word hodos, and it is narrow. Brought this out Wednesday night. It's a narrow way that leads to life, and narrow is the word thelebo, and it means tribulation. So the way the high priest, which is Christ, and he was also the goat slain upon the altar, it was a goat that was slain, Then the 16th chapter of Leviticus, that the blood was offered on the Ark of the Covenant, not a lamb. It was a goat. And so God has made him to be sin for us, or made him to be sin in our place. And the blood of the goat was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant in that 10th day of the 7th month, which was Tishri, which was September, October. So this Ark was stolen by the Philistines. And David is going to bring the ark back, but it doesn't happen until the sixth chapter. Well, I've got to tell you what First and Second Kings are about. First and Second Kings have basically the same message. If you find something over here in First or Second Kings, you can look it up in Chronicles. Why did they had to have different books for the message of the kings? Chronicles is looked at through the eyes of the priests and the priesthood. Kings is looked up through the eyes of the king. Remember, we've said this before on Wednesday night. God has made us priests and kings. What does a king do? He made us priests and kings. What does a king do? Huh? Can somebody tell me? He declares righteous judgment. The Bible says, look not at the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. People say you're not supposed to judge. As a king, you're supposed to. 
It will be Christ in you. When the Bible says judge not, it don't mean don't ever do any judging. When it says in Matthew 7 and 1, Matthew 7 and 1, judge righteous, or it says judge not, excuse me, judge not. Anytime you start a sentence, you start a sentence with a verb. This is a verb. Judge not. Are you supposed to judge? Absolutely. John seven twenty four says, When you judge, don't look at the outward appearance. Outward appearance. When you look at the outward appearance, what are you doing? When you look at the outward appearance and you judge according to what somebody looks like, how glib they are, how pretty they are, how handsome they are, how much money they got, what are you doing? Somebody tell me. You're respecting persons. Respect persons is the word pros apo lepsia. L-E-P-S-I-A. Sometimes it has a various ending. L-E-P-S-I-A or L-E-P-T-E-O. It'll be a verb or a noun form. This is the word respect of person. Respect persons. The Bible says, look not at the outward appearance, John seven twenty four. But judge, in John 7, 24, it seems like everybody knows Matthew 7 and 1, but they don't know where it is. Anytime somebody says, judge not, I say, where'd you get that? That's in the Bible. I say, where? Well, it's somewhere in there. (laughs) (laughs) I've had so many people tell me that. And then I lean over towards them and I'll say, you think it's in... Matthew 7 and 1. That's when they go, oops, I think he knows something I don't know. <laughs> it's funny if somebody will tell you something and you learn where it is. It's not there. Not what you're saying is not there. Well, judge is the word crino. It means to decide Not just guilty, but decide guilty or, or, or innocent. Don't go saying you can't judge him. You're declaring them innocent when you say that. You can't say don't judge. The Bible doesn't say that. It says You judge not. If you start a sentence with a verb, there's always an understood subject. Any English teacher will tell you that. Don't you do the judging. Don't you decide who is guilty or innocent. You're not supposed to do that. Are you supposed to judge? You're to judge righteous judgment. If you look at the outward appearance, you're a posoapletia. It comes from the word pros, 
prosopolopsia. It comes from pros, apo, and lambano. This is a construction of these. The word respect persons is a form of pros, apo, and lambano. Pros means toward. It's our word pro. It's our word pro. Means for. You're pro-life, you're for life. Apo is our word ops. Well, we get the word optical. And lambano means to take hold of. It means to look at something, take hold of what you see. That's what it means to take hold of what you put into your eyes, move towards that, and take hold of it. If she's pretty, don't t- don't tell her about Christmas. You might want to get a date with her. Right, guys? <laughs> what? <laughs> Bull. Fred's done that, said it straight out. Now, if he's got a lot of money, you don't want to call him down too hard because you might rub elbows with him and get a piece of his action, right? That's I know all about that. I was in music. I was always wanting to rub elbows with somebody famous. I stood right beside Dolly Parton on a, a TV show. She's about a foot from me, but you know how far she was from me? A hundred million miles. I'll never be where she is. I'm not going to compromise like that. And I couldn't, anyway, because I don't look like she looks. But the point is, when you lean towards somebody, you are judging them innocent when you don't tell them the truth. When you're for them. The Bible says in James 2 and 1, Brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. When you're having faith, which is death to self, don't respect persons because that's no death to self. If a man comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and goodly apparel, and he owns a big real estate company, or he's a mayor, or he's something important in town, and you say to this guy, sit here in the good seat, sit here on the deacon's board, Sit here on the finance committee. The Bible says you're judges of evil thoughts and you're partial and you're judging. And that's, and he goes on to say in the same chapter, chapter 2 of James, he equates that being partial with adultery. Now, you probably don't want to know this and murder. He said, this is a sin that's equivalent to adultery and murder. You don't do that, do you? What makes you guilty when you hear that? If you don't really want to know the truth, don't listen to me, because I'll tell you something that'll make you feel obligated. And you cannot judge outwardly. You can't look at somebody's appearance and say, he's real glib, and he's real fun to be with, and he might have connections for me, and you're respecting persons. And when you do that, I told a preacher here in town one time, I said, you do that and that's adultery and murder. And he was doing it at the time. 
Now, I don't know how I got here, but I got here. When the Bible says, don't you do any judging, don't you decide, tell them the God's judgment, which is saying the truth. I'm not saying get angry at people. I'm not saying that. I don't believe in correcting people with anger. Correct them, very simple, very quiet, very gentle. And when you do it, do it firmly. And don't back up. If you if you talk to people in a gentle way but tell them the truth, after a while they'll they'll actually accept that from you. But if you're fishtailing around and wishy washing and what we call in Texas you're you're crawfishing, backing up on everything, you don't need to be around people like that. Now we're talking about this Ark of the Covenant, which is the throne of God, and God judged from that throne. There's some rules about these priests of God that they had to live by. They couldn't just do things their way. All right, let me erase this up here. So First and Second Kings is from the viewpoint of the king. First and Second Chronicles is the viewpoint of the priest. We see David bringing the ark after the after these Philistines had captured the ark. Of course, they want to send it back to Israel. Why is that? Why did the Philistines want to send it back? Hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were scared. They were terrified of the ark of the covenant because they took it into their temple, and the first night Dagon, their god, was fallen down. And his hands were broken and his feet were broken off. And they set him back up the next night. And the next night they came in to look at Dagon. And the head was broken off with the hands and the feet. And then they said, then God turned loose a plague on them of something called emeralds. They weren't hemorrhoids. Don't think that. E-M-E-R-O-D-S. This would kill them. Well, that's worse than hemorrhoids. I've had bad hemorrhoids, and they're bad, but not this bad. And people go, those hemorrhoids. No, that's something worse than that. Something that was killing them. And they said, get that out of here. we got to get that back to Israel. So they sent it back to Israel. And the key to this, when they sent it back, they sent it back to Israel on a new cart. That was something that was deadly, a new cart. They wouldn't be transporting the Ark of the Covenant ever on a cart of any kind. Well, why is that? Well, let's look. I've said that First Chronicles is the priesthood's view of things. We looked last week at Second Samuel the sixth chapter where they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. Let's look at First Chronicles, the 13th chapter. It's going to give us basically the same picture. Let's go to First Chronicles, the 13th chapter. If you're going to read one, read the other, because sometimes one will give you something the other don't give you. If you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the Gospels. 
the synoptic gospels, the ones with the synonymous view, are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. John is kind of an independent gospel in itself. If you're going to be studying the 8th chapter, oh, excuse me, well, yeah, the 8th chapter of Matthew, you need to study the 8th chapter of Luke. And you need to study the 5th chapter of Mark. That's about the demoniac. You're going to find things in each one of these that's not in the other. You need to read all three if you're going to study the man that's possessed with devils. Except possessed with devils is the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Dalmanizomai, and when you look up Dalmanizomai in a dozen of my books in my library, particularly in the McClinic and Strong, it will say Dalmanizomai is a form of Dalmanion, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N, which means to distribute fortunes. When you want money and things and stuff so bad, it will drive you crazy. Dalmanizomai means to be insane. When you look up the word insane, it will say, look up, see crazy. When you see crazy, it will say, the inability to think rational. Does America think rational? Does the preachers think rational? Do they think they can keep spending money and just keep spending that as long as they can get a hold of it, as long as they can get any credit, just keep spending? Do you know that we owe 17 to $20 million? A billion, excuse me, trillion dollars. 17 to $20 trillion, I'd rather put it this way. Well, you can put it like this. And we can't pay that off in 10 thousand years that's not rational on the part of those guys in washington is it not rational we have to crash not too far from now we have to crash there's no way out of it there's no answer the bible says there'll be distress of nations with perplexity at the end of time i ask somebody nearly every day do you know that the world's crazy? I asked a waiter the other day. Did you know the world's crazy? He said, yeah, I know that. Ask a painter that works for Scott. I said, do you know the world's crazy? He said, yeah, sure. Everybody can see that. You couldn't ask somebody that in 1955 when I was 16. They'd say, you're sick. It is crazy, and everybody recognizes it. We're crazy because we can't think rational. The preachers can't think rational. You see, the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And they'll say, well, the Bible don't mean that. You say, I just quoted the Bible to you. Well, it don't mean that. It means something else. No, it means that. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way it leads to life. And few there be that find it. Only a few people out of the population of the world are going to heaven. Only a few. Not all these people in these churches. That's not, they can't think rational. Jerry Fowler used to get him and say, we're going to win the world for Christ. I don't know how you're going to do that, Jerry, since a few will come to the truth. 
Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Uh, Don't you think rational enough to know that it's only a few people out of all the population of the world? And I've heard those independent Baptists say, we're going to win the world for Christ. No, you're not. You can just look at them and say, you're crazy. They can't believe the Bible when it says few. We are rational, aren't we? I don't know how I got on to that. Now, let's get back over here. Let's go to the 13th chapter of 1 Chronicles. We read the 6th chapter of Second Samuel last week. This is the corresponding chapter to the 6th sec- chapter of Second Samuel. Corresponding chapter. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them that also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of God. Where has it been? Well, it hasn't been in the possession of these of these Philistines because they sent it back and it has been abiding in the house of Abinadab, one of the priests of Israel. A priest was a descendant of Aaron. They knew the laws of being a priesthood. They knew that. Now let's look and see what happens. Let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at at it in the days of Saul. So all the time Saul was king, they didn't inquire of the ark of God. Saul was a very wicked man, but he was the anointed of God. Just shows you how wicked a believer can be. And all the congregations said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering in of Hamath, to bring the ark of God back from Kerjath, Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is, to Kerjath Jerim, which he belonged to Judah, that's in southern Israel. You can see Judah over here. It's a city here in Judah. This is Judah. That's Simeon there, right in the middle of right in the middle of Judah. <clears throat> to bring thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubim. Dwelleth means God's house. He had a house, and that was the Holy of Holies. Dwelleth means to build a house or marry. God's throne was the Ark of the Covenant. If they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't have the presence of God there. <clears throat> and you're... <clears throat> Your hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. Your heart has to be with God. And they carried the Ark of God in a new cart. Wrong. Now the Philistines sent it back on a new cart. But that's the wrong way the Ark of the Covenant is to be transported. 
Watch what God does. And out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio, which were the sons of Abinadab, the priest of God, the high priest of God. And Ahio drove the ark, and David and all Israel played before God with all might, with singing, with harps, with psalteries, with trembles, with with cymbals, and with trumpets. When they came into the threshing floor of Kedon, a threshing floor was a where they would go to to refine the wheat. They would they had a big round bowl type of ground and they would throw it up in the air. The wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat buds would fall into the threshing floor. That's what a threshing floor was for. When they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah, a son of Abinadab, high priest, he was going to be a high priest. He knew the law and the rules. Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. It seems like for no reason, but Uzzah knew the laws of the high priesthood. He knew. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died. This shows you how serious God is about his law and his rules. We have to live by his laws. That's why he beats us with an inch of our life until we learn to partake of his holiness, his righteousness, doing things that are right. What this story will do, it will tell you how you're supposed to live before God with your heart, which is the Ark of the Covenant, because your hearts are sprinkled there in Hebrews 10.22. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach. But David is the tribe of Judah. He didn't study all the laws of the priesthood. The priesthood came from Levi. And a breach was upon Uzzah, therefore the place is called Perizazah, or the breach of Uzzah unto this day. And David was afraid of God that day because he got angry at God for killing Uzzah. David should have known something, Uzzah did something bad, wrong. He was a priest, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? You have to bring it the way God instructed to to move the Ark of the Covenant. You don't just go out there and move it the way you want to on a new car. So David brought not the Ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. A Gittite was a man from the Philistines, but he was a believer. Some of the Philistines were believers. And the ark of God remained in the house, family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now, how was, a hard, how was the ark to be transported? Gosh, where can I start here? All right, let's look over here at 1 Samuel 15. And one. 
Oh, excuse me, First Chronicles 15, 1, not First Samuel. First Chronicles 15. 15. All right. And David made him a house in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God, pitched for it a tent. I thought it belonged in the temple. Well, it did. Where's the temple? It's not built yet. There's not one. Who's going to build the ark? Who's going to build the temple? Solomon. Solomon's going to build the temple. Why wasn't David going to build the temple? Does anybody remember? He was a man of blood. He'd killed so many people in battle. God says, you can't build the ark. Your son Solomon's going to build it. And David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Only the Levites could, can carry the ark. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And when they carry it, go to verse 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon. That's where it's to be moved. And Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was like all the rest of the vessels of the house of the Lord. The Ark of God had rings in the side of it on both sides and staves and they were long poles, and only the Levites, sons of Koath, could bear the ark, and it couldn't be carried any other way, and they didn't get any wagons to carry it on. Look over there. Look over there at number seven. Number seven. How important is it that we follow the commandments of God? You think God will destroy your life and mess your life up if you don't? Yeah, he will. I'm a living testimony to that fact. Well, God messed me up real bad. He ended up giving me real severe bronchial asthma, and I've wrestled with that for years. I don't believe I would have had as bad an asthma as I have if I hadn't stressed myself out over the years. But you know, stress will do that to you, won't it? It will corrupt your health. If we could learn not to live for ourselves, but live for God's Word, we'd be a lot better off. Now look here in number 7. I'm going to give you some verses and show you why Uzzah got what was coming to him. Because he knew this. He was a priest. Now, number seven and one. I'll get to it in a minute. Number seven, one. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle, had anointed it and sanctified it, and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, 
and had anointed them and sanctified them that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were princes of the tribes, were over them, and they were numbered, offered. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons, 12 oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, and that they may be to do service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites, and every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon. That's one of the sons of Levi. According to their service, and four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari. That's another son. According to their service under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But under the sons of Kohath, who had to bear the Ark of the Covenant, he gave no wagons. You can't, you cannot go against the law of God. It had to be carried by hand by the Kohathites. No new wagons. No new carts. That was totally against the law of God. I can understand the Philistines sending it back on new carts, but I don't understand Israel taking it back to Israel on the same new cart. They knew the law. They should have changed it. Brought some Korathites in and say, look, this is being transported wrong. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto these Korathites was that they should be upon their shoulders. That's the only way it could be transported. I preached on this about 15 years ago, and I titled it, The Korathites Got No Wagons From God. And they didn't. And when Uzzah, people, I've heard preachers read about Uzzah touching the ark like it was a small deal. No, it was the law of God. You had to be a Korthite, you had to be a Levite, and you couldn't touch it. What would happen if you touched the ark of the covenant? Well, let's look at Numbers 4. Numbers 4. Numbers 4. And verse 15, when Aaron, the high priest, this was Moses' older brother, three years older than Moses. When Aaron and his sons made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is set forward, after that, the sons of Koath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing you touch the ark of the covenant you die i think i knew that he was a priest his father had taught him that lest they die if they touch it does god's instruction mean that much to you it does to me 
God had to make me sick, destroy my physical body to finally get me to a place that I've got to live for you around the clock. Living for God while you're in this building is not enough. When you walk out that door, you should not change when you go down to the service station or the grocery store. I'm not saying go down there and beat people up. Anytime you get a chance, say something firmly, say it gently, and don't back up on it. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath, the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, I want us to turn over to the sixth chapter of Exodus. It's going to show you where Kohath lines up with all this. Sixth chapter of Exodus. Are these things important? They're going to show you just how important your obedience to the Word of God is. Do we have to obey God? Yes. Do we have to wrestle with sin in our lives? Yes. Do we need to make every attempt to give it up? Yes. I know how men think when they see scantily clad women. You know how I know? Because I'm a man. And you men can't fool me. You might fool other people, but you can't fool me. I'm too old. I'm too wise. I've been around too long. I have to fight that just like you do. And this is not something that I'm uh, some guru. It's something the Bible says. There's no temptation. One person, but it's common to all people. So I know what you're thinking. You have to battle that, don't you? Men always want to drop their head and go, I hope he's not talking to me. I am talking to you. If I was a woman, I would know how they felt. But I know how men feel. I know the temptation they're subjected to. I know how easy it is to stop and say a curse word. Put Put a lock on your mouth. If you have to say something, say uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, or something. If you're going to say Romans eight twenty nine, clean your mouth up, clean your life up. It's all a part of God's program. Now, I want us to read some more things that have to do with this. The Kohathites have to have. I read to you. N- Exodus 6, okay. Exodus 6. Now, he's going to name the sons of... The sons of Jacob are going to be named here, starting with the firstborn, Reuben. Verse 14. These be the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu and Hezron and Carmi, these be the families of Reuben. Not much important there. We're just going to skip him and get on with this. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin. This is the second born of Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel. And Simeon has got a quite a background. He was temperamental and high strung. He liked killing people that got in his way. This is one. This is one of the reasons when people will say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. He's talking about nations. Let me tell you something. Before Israel became a nation, before they were called the nation of Israel, Simeon was a killer. 
He wasn't exactly a nice guy. He murdered Shechem and Hamor, his father, when Jacob promised them they could be part of Israel if they'd be circumcised. Because they had, he, he accused Shechem, Simeon did, of raping his sister. Now, now Shechem and Dinah, his sister, had an affair. But she loved Shechem, and he loved Dinah. So when they got him circumcised, Jacob says, you can be a part of our family, Israel. So Simeon, as soon as they get circumcised and they can't move because they're so sore and they're hurting, Simeon tells Levi, let's go kill them now. They raped our sister. Simeon wasn't a real nice guy. I keep thinking that's why God put him right in the middle of Judah so Judah could make him behave himself. Because he was strung out, always wanting to lose his temper, do things he shouldn't do. Now, let's read on down here. The sons of Simeon, Jamuel, Jamin, Ohab, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul. You say, I don't understand those names. Yeah, and they don't understand Jim and Bill and James and Joe either. Or Jonathan or Samuel. They might understand Samuel. The son of the Canaanitish woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi. This is very important in there. Levi. The sons of Levi are Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Let me write these down. Let me ask you a question. You think God will kill people? It was God that killed Uzzah. The charismatics say, God won't kill anybody. You're ignorant too. You're stupid. When you say God won't, he won't make anybody sick. Micah 6.13. Therefore, Israel, will I make thee sick and smiting thee because of thy sins. He killed people all through the Old Testament. You mess around with God and his law, he'll hurt you bad. You say, you mean in this then time? Well, you can't figure it out why your health gets worse and worse and worse. I couldn't figure it out for years. I was living for me. I was stressing out constantly. God will stop you. when you, he, he didn't call you to be rich or famous. He called us to be righteous and godly and holy. And I'm not talking about those English words. I'm talking about dikaiosinae. Decay, holy hagios, holiness hagiosmos. I'm talking about God of Eusebia. I'm not talking about the English. You have to know what those words mean. Now, here's the sons of Levi. This is everybody that Levi has. Levi is the third son of Jacob, third son. So he's got three sons. Here they are right here. He's got Gershon. And he has Koath. The Korthites 
they have to carry the ark. To them's given the job of pulling down all of the all of the temple. When that cloud starts moving, that cloud starts moving, cloud above the holy place, or the fire by day and then a cloud by day and a fire by night. When that starts moving, the Korthites they started gathering everything up. Get those staves. Get everything ready. That means they're leaving. And Koath and Merari. And we're not even going to spend time with Gershon because he's not a part of this story. Gershon has Libni <coughs> and Shemi. Koath, boy, he's the one. I'm just going to just put in over here. Merari's not a part of this picture either. He's got his job. The Bible will tell you what their jobs are. He's got Molly, M-A-H-L-I, H-A-L-I, and he has Mushi, M-U-S-H-I, Mushi. Now, Let's read on here. What? How important are these names? Oh, they're all important. They all have an exact job. It's all set up in the Old Testament. You have an exact job. That's to take your cross and die daily. Well, I understand the words, but I don't know how to do it. That means kick your own self in the tail when you start saying something or doing something that's wrong. Say, don't do that, Jim Brown. But it's going to be something your flesh wants to do. You have to go against your own personal desires. If you do right, you're going to have to. Does anybody have a hard time with that? Huh? <laughs> Let me see your hands if you, if you have a hard time putting self in, getting a hold of self. Boy, I've had a hard time with me. My biggest problem my whole lifetime has been me. But I thought it was all these other people that's giving me a hard time. It wasn't. Is that I wasn't acting right. I wasn't talking right. I wasn't living right. Problem is not your neighbor's you. Just like mine was me. Now let's finish reading here. And the sons of Koath. Boy, this is what's important. Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. This is extremely important. Especially touching the ark. And some other things. Let me put this up here. Here they are. I got it in front of me. I want to make y'all all a copy of this. Sons of Koath. All right. Amram. Izhar. Then you've got Hebron and Uziel. Now, if God gives Izahar something to do, can he do the job that Amram has? No, not on your life. And then Amram has 
Now, I'm going to make this real plain. And the sons of Mereri are Mahali and Mushi. I put those up there. These are the families of Levi according to their generation. And Amram took him, Jochebed, his father's sister to wife, and she bare him, Aaron and Moses. Aaron. And Moses. And then they have a sister, Miriam. I'll get it in a minute. And then God appoints Aaron's children to be the high priests of God. Moses is going to be a deliverer, but you've got to be a son of Moses to be a high priest. And you cannot be one of these guys over here and do anything that the high priest does. Moses couldn't do Aaron's job. It's against the law. Certainly Miriam couldn't, but you had to be one of the sons of Aaron to be a high priest. And what was his sons? Who was his sons? No, uh uh-uh. That was up here. Nadab? Huh? Well, but we're not talking about Moses. We're talking about the sons of Aaron. Did I say Moses? Well, y'all knew what I meant. (laughs) All right. Nadab. Abihu. And who are the other two sons? Ithamar and Eliezer. Ithamar and Eliezer. This ought to register with us We have a certain calling. We are priests of God. We we are kings and priests. Now, if you are not one of the sons of Aaron, you couldn't do any of the jobs of the high priest. If any of these guys tried to do the high priest's job, God would kill them. That's all there is to it. We have a calling of God. We have to do our calling. Now, David and Abihu, God killed them because they did something wrong. It wasn't their job. Look over here in Leviticus 10. Wait a minute. Let me give you, before I go over there, uh, and the sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zithri. Korah, 
These are sons of Ishar. Ishar. Or Nepheg. Is that Nepheg? Is that it? Yeah. Korah, Nepheg, and Izhar. And Izhar. Now, if any of these guys over here try to do anything other than through one of these, through Aaron, if they try to do anything God will kill them. I think we had a man named Korah there in number 16 that wanted to offer incense that only the sons of Aaron could offer. Korah said, that's what I want to do. Have you envied somebody else's job as the preacher or the song leader or the piano player or I don't want to do the menial task for God God don't have a place for you if you're not willing to sweep the floor willing to take the trash out and Korah he went down in history as a man rebellious against God he was even mentioned on the book of Judah or Jude look over here in Numbers the well, before we go there, we'll we'll look at. I started to go somewhere a while ago. Where was I going? Oh, go to Numbers, the sixteenth chapter. Number sixteen. Does this is this important to us that God has assigned us a work to do? And we're supposed to approach it with godliness and holiness and righteousness. We're supposed to be what God wants us to be. I've made so many mistakes in my life. They weren't mistakes. They were sin. The older I get, the closer I get to death, the more I know I have to live for the Lord. I know that. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't even believe that about me, but I have to. I don't have that much longer to live. I'm be 80 next May. You don't live much past 80 in this day and time, do you? Or you want to be unrealistic? Wait till you get to be 79. You'll know that you don't have much time to live. So if you don't do it right right now, why wait till then? Why wait till 80? Why wait till 75 or 70 or 60? You know what God will have to do? Beat you up real bad and cause you to be willing to live for him. He'll scourge every son he receives so we can be partaker of his holiness. He'll scourge, and the scourge was a bloody beating, and you'll think, oh, God, why am I live this way? Now, look here in Numbers. Let me show you how important it is to know what family you come from. Numbers 16. And Korah, Korah, the son of Izhar, 
He's not in Aaron's line at all, is he? He's going to demand that he get to do something that only the sons of Aaron are appointed to. And guess what God does to him? Kills him. You think you can take God's instruction and manipulate him the way you want to? Well, I've gotten about with it so far. No, you haven't. You're getting old. You're contracting all kinds of disease. You're going to do like Chip did and have a stroke or like I've done and have a heart attack. All because I've been stubborn and so has all of you. You, I know you haven't arrived if you're not old and about ready to die. I know that. Nobody's arrived. Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath. You can follow this line. Son of Kohath. Oh, they're all Levites, but does that mean you can do what you want to do? No. And they... Kor, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you. They're not the ones that appointed themselves as high priests of God. That's something that God did. And God says they have to come out of Aaron. You cannot take and reappoint yourself to something that you think you should be able to do. And they say, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregations are holy. We're all holy. We're all, we're all Levites. And we're all of the house of Jacob. We're all Israelites. Who said you can do all this? Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up themselves above the congregation of the Lord. Why is it that Moses and Aaron gets to be lifted above the congregation? Because God appointed them. When God appointed Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. Israel's my son, even my firstborn. Let them go that they may serve me. Moses said, God, I stutter. I, I, can't, I can't, can't talk well. God said, you don't have to talk right, Moses. Your brother Aaron will be your prophet. He'll speak to Pharaoh for you. You say, I can't do anything. Well, Moses couldn't either. He stuttered. He said, I'm of a slow tongue. It's not, God's not looking for the outward appearance. He's looking for the heart that he fixed. Now, you're taking too much upon you. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Moses is afraid of God. And he spake unto Korah, which is he's not even a high priest. He's a priest, but not a high priest. And they said, we want to come and offer offerings of the priesthood. You can't. You're not of that line. And he spake unto Korah and said unto all his company, saying, 
Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. Tomorrow. You come back here and bring your people with you, Korah. And all will cause him to come near unto him. Even him who he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take you censers, Korah, and all your company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord God tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. But God had already chosen Moses and Aaron. They didn't choose themselves any more than you chose yourself to be in the kingdom. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame and shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. He even calls them Levites that they are. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel, and you're supposed to bear the instruments of the house of the Lord on these staves, and that's your job? You think that's a small job? Don't you touch it. Don't you let anybody touch those holy things of God. To bring you near to himself, you think this is a small thing he called you to do? Everybody's got their job, and we're all going to get the same Reward, eternal life. Paul's not going to get any more eternal life than you get. He's not going to get crowns, uh, physical crowns with gold and silver. The word crown is the word Stephanos. We get the name Stephen or Stephanie from that. It was an oak leaf that everybody that ran in the games got. Everybody's going to get a crown of life. It's not going to be a gold crown with diamonds and jewels in it. Paul told the Philippians, you are my joy and crown. He didn't mean he's going to walk around with a bunch of Philippians on his head saying, everybody hold still up there. (laughs) Did he mean that? No. You're my crown. You're my Stephanos. You're the reward that I have that'll be up on my head, but it won't be physical. Paul's not going to get any more eternal life than anybody. If Paul had this commitment to serve the Lord, and if I have the commitment to study every week, to study and give you some scripture, I'm not going to get any more eternal life than the least of you are going to get. Nobody's going to get more than anybody else. We're going to eat eternal life. And if God puts it, it's real easy for me to stand up here and teach. I've got a million scriptures in my head. And I've studied for 62, 63 years. So it's not hard for me to do that. It may be hard for you. I've asked, I've asked some of the people in here, uh, maybe someday you could teach or give a testimony. Oh, I can't do that. I understand that. I couldn't either when I was... In school, I couldn't give a book report without failing it. Now, so Korah, what's God going to do to Korah and his company? Well, they all come out there and meet Moses the next day. 
And the next day, verse 16, Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, and they and Aaron tomorrow, and take every man his censer, and put incense therein, and bring it ye before the Lord, every man his censer, 250 censers. You got 250 followers, Korah, which are of the wrong, not of the wrong tribe, you have the wrong family. You want to do something that only Aaron and his sons can do. I appointed them. And you've got a penalty on you that if you do it wrong, you die. And people in charismatic say God won't kill anybody. Jesus said, the Lord said, I kill them, I make alive, I wound, I heal. Who is it holds the keys of death and hell in the first chapter of Revelation? Jesus. People say God won't kill. He's the only one that does. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. If anybody's wounded, God does it. If anybody's healed, God does it. If anybody's made sick, God does it. It's hard to understand that. Just believe that God's, if you believe that God's doing everything, jump in there and participate in understanding that God's doing everything in your life. How much time do I have, Mike? Oh, boy, I ain't going to get through this. Now, let's look over here and see what God does to Korah and his company. Verse 24, speaking to the congregation, saying, Get you up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went into Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of those wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs. Don't even get around Korah. Get away from him. There's a thing that's going to happen to him. You don't want to be around him. I don't want to be around. The Bible says we're to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. When the judgment of fire comes upon his life, if you're hanging around the wrong people, it's going to fall on you. It will rain on the just and the unjust. I stay away from people. Yeah, collateral damage. That's right. That's what it is. Nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed with all of their sins. Get away from them. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, rebuke them. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, here is how you're going to know who God's people are. Hereby... Ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. People won't accuse me of doing things by my mind. I don't do anything that I don't consult the Lord about. If these men die the common death of all men, if they die of old age, or if they be visited after the visitation of men, then the Lord hath not sent me. Somebody is lying here, me or them. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into this earthquake, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked God. God killed them. 
Is that pretty serious? Is it serious what God wants you to do with your life? And you think God will kill people? God will make them sick? You can read that 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, and he says, I'll make you sick, I'll send pestilence, I'll send disease, till it consumes you. I love these stories. In fact, the previous chapter, God had just told the people, don't go out working on the Sabbath day. And they celebrated every Saturday as the Sabbath. In verse 30 of chapter 15, and the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, zood is the word presumptuous. Or zed, they're both forms of the same word. Presumptuous means proud. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, presumptuous sin is when you stand in the light and you sin straight against it. You sin against the light and you're shining right under the light of God. God will kill you for that. He's not going to do anything till time of judgment for the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. But he'll hurt his people. Say, you are called to something better than that. And he says, whether you be born in the land or strangers, the same reproach of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandments, and that soul will be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. It wasn't so much he was gathering sticks he thumbed his nose against the law of God in rebellion. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. They put him in ward on a lockup because it was not declared what they should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. I know what to do with him. He thumbs his nose at my law. And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. All the commands to put these people to death come from God. And people say, God won't make you sick and he won't kill you. Yes, he will. I have a fear of God. I have a fear of God. I know what he can do to me. He's done a lot of it already. There's so much more to this. They had to have staves in the ark. They had to carry everything. Why do you think that God killed Uzzah? Why did he kill this man gathering sticks? Why did he kill one other verse here? Leviticus Leviticus 10. Here's the two sons of the two sons of of Aaron. Aaron had four sons. Nadab and Abihu, Ithamar, and Eleazar. Chapter 10, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire thereon and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which God did not command. I don't know what the strange fire was, but it was against the commandment of God 
when they come into the temple, they had to take the fire from the altar and they had to bring it in and light this incense here. They had a particular recipe for that incense. One of the recipes was frankincense. And frankincense is the word Lebanon. With the word Lebanon from that, or the word moon comes from that. The word moon means white. It was a white powder. It had to be exact, and it had to be offered by the sons of Aaron. And you had a fire here from this. You had a fire from the candlesticks. You had a fire here, but that had to be offered with the fire from the altar. They did something strange with the incense. Maybe they just went over here and said, we'll get a little bit of flame from this down here. And that won't matter because God don't really care. Yes, he does. And we can do what we want. And God killed him. And it left Eliezer, and you're going to find the rest of the way through the Bible, it has to be one of the sons of Ithamar or Eliezer that'll be a high priest. Everybody that's a high priest will come from these two because these two were killed before they had any sons. If they had sons, it would have, they would have passed to them. Well, let me show you what he tells them. Verse 6. And Moses said unto Aaron and Eliezer and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover your heads. Do not mourn for these two boys. Neither rend your clothes. Don't put sackcloth and ashes on for them. If you mourn for them, I'll kill you. They knew better than what they did. Lest you die, and lest wrath come upon this people, and let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. He said, if you mourn for these boys that knew what they were doing and they were doing wrong, I'll kill you, Aaron, and I'll get me another high priest and I'll kill these other two boys. Don't mourn for them in sackcloth and ashes. Do you actually believe the commandments of God are not that important in your life? You know what? I'm guilty of having believed that Till it's just a little bit. God taught me a little bit at a time. The older I got, and the older I get, the more of a little boy I come in the eyes of God. I started off as a little boy. I grew up and got real proud and got real know-it-all. I didn't think I was, though. I thought I was a pretty humble guy at 30 and 35, and I wasn't. Because I didn't think it was, I thought it was okay if I would go against the laws of God to make contacts and get what I wanted in life. If you keep thinking that, God will teach you that you can't do what you want to do. He's taught me that. I'm afraid of God. I have a fear of him. I'm not just trembling all the time. I love the Lord. I'm afraid to get off the track. Once you know who you are, once you know you're one of his elect, he elected you to obedience. He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. I don't believe godliness and holiness is taught enough in the church today. Well, I don't believe hardly anything is being taught in these churches out here. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. 
I don't know what to ask for anymore. Just let us be committed to you. Any battles we have, you fight them for us, Lord. We can't. I don't even know what to fight or who to fight. I'm fighting you when I'm fighting evil men that come into my life. I pray for the church. You'll cause them to be committed to you. We'll give you praise for everything. Fight our battles, meet our needs. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, Brother Dave. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it tonight. Well, I understand. I understand. You know I understand that. But God willing, I'll be at work tomorrow. Yeah, I love you. I love you, Dave. I know you had a hard time with health. That's what I said today. It's God's judging us all. It brings us bad health and everything else. You're right, though. Once you figure out where you are with God, you better get it together. you got to start doing right. It's not hard to do right. You just quit doing wrong. That's why I am the way I am, because I stood in that light and my nose I did God. that too, Dave. You didn't do anything I didn't do. It's a wonder he didn't kill me. I know exactly what you're talking about. But I guess he gave us mercy, straightened us out, and said, now you're working for me. And don't That's right. Up. That's it. And what else can we do? I have the words of eternal life. If I could go somewhere to California and get away from this, I would. I'd go to Alaska. <laughs> And you know you can't. I think God's in California, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he's over There's old he's, Chip. He's in London. Hey, Chip. How you doing, Jim? I'm pretty good. I mean, you hit home today. You hit a good one. I, I love you, brother. I love you, That's too. hard, isn't it? I like your shirt. You did. That's, this is a hard message for those of us that are believers. It's we got to kick ourselves in the tail. It's hard to do because we, but everybody in the world's doing that. Well, that don't matter what they're doing. Let them thumb their nose 